you can probably get started by heading to First Peter. We'll come back to Colossians 3, so if you want to, put a, a marker in there. But we'll head to First Peter uh, chapter 5. So as we've been seeing, and as you saw in our scripture reading this morning, all of these one another commands actually work together. Uh, Colossians 3 does a great job of lumping a whole lot of the ones that we've already studied uh, and concludes with uh, this final instruction for us to instruct one another. I've lumped instruct one another and submit to one another together because I feel like those go hand in hand, uh, as well as the fact that those commands don't appear all that frequently, and yet they do seem to appear always near the end of a conclusionary outworking of the theology of a book that an apostle is writing, which means that is probably important because if it's in the conclusion of a lot of different books, it might be something we need to pay attention to. So if we want to jump in today to 1 Peter chapter 5, this is where we would expect to find a command to teach, to instruct, to uh, inform, and to admonish all of these words can be used uh, synonymously, that in 1 Peter chapter 5, it's a chapter that is addressed right at the beginning to the elders, to the pastors, to the people who are teaching, which would make sense, right? If you're going to say you need to teach someone, we would expect that teachers would be the ones being told that you should teach. And so let's just see how this plays out in 1 Peter chapter 5. It says, uh, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. This is his command to those people. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Okay, so we're going to stop there because this next sentence actually contributes to a further understanding. We're just going to address those first couple of verses. Peter is telling those who are the elders, both meaning older people, but also meaning those who are given uh, positions of teaching and authority inside of a body of believers that this is what he wants them to do. He wants them to shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, not for greed of money, but eagerly, not lording it over those who are entrusted to you, but by being examples to the flock. And that way, when Christ appears, you can receive a reward. So obviously, this this couple of verses applies directly to Michael and I and to other people who are entrusted in teaching positions, right? That we are not to be seeking these positions out of the feeling like there's a gun to my back. Someone's got to do it. it. says, don't do it out of compulsion. Don't feel like you're being forced into it. You should want to do it, but not so that you can make money off of it, which is, uh, you know, in America for a long while there, it seemed like you could probably actually do that. And there are people who manage to somehow use the Bible to make a whole lot of money by talking. 
yet it doesn't seem to be a very normal thing across the globe. But in these days, uh, Peter is saying, you know, a lot of people traveling around, you can make a living off of just talking, uh, especially if you travel to some of these Roman cities like Corinth and some of these other places, you could make a living and just go off and do whatever you want in order to go teach things. And he says that that's not how pastoring should work. And the word pastor comes from a Latin thing, which is connected to shepherd, okay? So that's why when it's talking here about shepherding God's flock, he's not just saying, you know, say things to them. It's about leading and helping people along. And he says, I want you to shepherd God's flock. A reminder that this isn't my flock. That's God's. And yet I am told, like, here's the deal. You're supposed to be here to help guide and move people along towards what God would have them to do. Not doing it out of compulsion, not for money, but to do it willingly. And then he says that for those who have this kind of position, you need to do it in a way that doesn't lord it over those who are entrusted to you. Not to be a dictator type that says, like, do it because I say so and deal with it. But to do it in a way that the reason, the, the, the motivation that people can find in doing what you're instructing them to do, because presumably you're trying to teach them what God is telling them to do, should be evident in your own life. You shouldn't tell people, do what I say and not uh, what I do. So for all people who are in any sort of position of authority, especially when it comes to when you're trying to tell people about God. You need to be careful that your life is also an example of what you are teaching and that you are not telling people that you should do this when you are not willing to do it yourself. So be in an example to those that you are trying to lead so that when Christ appears, you can receive your reward. And now, as we filter into the rest of the body, it says, in the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. There's our first hint of submission. Submit to those in that position of authority. Because if they are doing what they're supposed to be doing, they are to be leading you out of example, not out of wanting money, not out of feeling like they have to, but because they want to, because God has asked them to, and in trying to lead you, submit to them because they are trying to lead you in the right way. And then the conclusion of this whole section here in verses 1 through 5. All of you, so in case you didn't get caught in the elders, people who are older and uh, have been uh, believers for a long time who can instruct whether you're a pastor or a teacher or if you're younger so that you're being told that you need to submit to those in authority in case you don't fit in any of those categories. He says, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Here we see Peter saying that there is an important element of a community of faith like ours. That there will be some form of authority structure, and authority structures are meant to work for the benefit of everyone. That those who are in authority ought to be doing it out of care, not out of uh, desire for more power or for more money. They are doing it 
to help those who have been entrusted to them. And those who have been entrusted to those people are willingly submitting to their good leadership as they are being instructed, and that all, all, even those who are in authority, ought to be clothing themselves with humility towards one another. And we talked about how humility was a very important part of these other one another's as well. That we can't think that we have it all together, that we have all of the answers, that we know exactly what everyone should always be doing in every situation that they are facing, even the pastors. We aren't 100% all-knowing, and some things we don't know what to do. There's a, there are plenty of times where you know we're like, ah, man, I'm going to spend a whole lot of time trying to find all sorts of biblical principles to figure out what is going to be the path we should take. But in order for a community to work together, humility ought to be a primary characteristic, and it is this humility that lends itself towards us being able to submit. I know everyone hates that word. Submit to one another. Here it specifically says that those who are younger ought to submit to those that are older and have positions of authority, that they should listen and that they should order their lives and think and consider the instruction and the lifestyle of the people who are instructing them. But all of us, pastors, teachers, just regular church attenders, need to be willing to put on humility towards one another so that we can help each other. And the reason is because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So along these lines of instructing and submitting to one another, if someone says, hey, I don't think you're doing what you should be doing, I feel like you're making a bad decision. And, and you know, God's word tells us that you should do this instead. A proud person says, Hey, back off. You don't know what you're talking about. It's none of your business. Or they try to explain it and say, no, like that's not what's going on at all. Uh, You don't understand, and they try to justify, even if it's pretty clear that what they're doing is wrong. Because proud people will not admit that they are wrong and that they're doing anything sinful or unrighteous. Humble people might still disagree. But humble people will sit and consider. They will listen with ears. They will consider it over a course of even time and think, hey, maybe God put this person in my path today for me to rethink what I'm doing. Because I am not a perfect person. I do have blind spots. I do have problems. God resists the proud. We talked about how last week, if we hear God's voice and do not obey it and we rebel, that that is a dangerous place for anyone to be in because this is the story of the gospel, right? Proud people don't think that they need a savior. Proud people don't think that they're sinners. Proud people resist when someone says, there's a solution for you that isn't about you being awesome. Pride is what gets in the way, and God resists 
the proud, but he gives grace, unearned favor to people who are humble enough to say, you know what? Yeah, I am a sinner. And you know what? Yeah, I could never do enough good to outweigh my bad because that's not how this works. And if God is willing to send his son to pay for my sins and I can believe that and it's all about him being awesome, then I can believe it. God gives those people grace. But he pushes aside those who are proud. And so as it relates to our community life, keep that in mind. Even when people bug you to death because you're like, man, I just wish they would have known more about the situation that they're trying to speak into, we stop ourselves from asserting ourselves as being right. That is not how we are saved by asserting, no, 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 I don't have the problem. Everyone else has the problem. We are saved by grace by humbly admitting that we are sinners and we need help. If you will, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Again, near, not the last chapter, but near the end of the book of Ephesians, as Paul's typical style would be. The first three chapters of Ephesians are about a lot of theology things, about how big God is and what his plan has been doing and what he's doing. And then the last three chapters of Ephesians are all about now that we have covered all of those theological truths about God and about what he has done for us through the gospel, this is how we ought to live. So Ephesians chapter 5, we'll start in verse 15. Pay careful attention then to how you walk or as, as to how you live, not as unwise people but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. So in this section, Paul is telling the believers in Ephesus, as he does in many of his epistles, consider how you live your life. Not just consider what you think, not just what's inside of you, but consider what you actually do. Consider how you relate to people. Consider your actions and your words. He says, don't live as unwise people, but as wise because there is so little time. Don't be what fool, don't be fools, but instead do the Lord's will by being filled by the Spirit. And these are the evidences that he lists as being filled by the Spirit. Speaking to one another, or encouraging, or admonishing, or instructing, speak to one another in psalms, and hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord. This is one of the characteristics of a life that is spent in community when we are being, uh, when we are living in the Spirit, is that we speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And all of us are like, what? I hope, because that's, that's always my reaction. There's another one in Colossians, so we're going to get there. But admonishing each other through songs, 
Now, some of this is Psalms is scripture, okay? Hymns are definitely not scripture. And spiritual songs also definitely not scripture. Uh, yet, Paul seems to make the connection here that singing is in the same vein as being taught. It's not exactly the same, but it is one way that we as a community can encourage, instruct, admonish, correct one another. And guess what? Doing it in song seems to be a whole lot less uncomfortable than having to spend the first 25 minutes of every church service sitting down with someone saying, now let me tell you, this is what your heart needs this week. When we live in the Spirit, we can allow the Spirit to do His job. And when we as a community do that together, we can experience our voices encouraging others in ways that we would not even know they need it. Telling them biblical truth that they need to hear in a different way. By singing and making music from our heart to the Lord, those around us can also benefit it's what makes corporate worship so awesome. Is that you might not even knowingly be singing or mumbling the words, thinking that anyone around you is being encouraged by your participation. You might think that you come to church and you just do your worship straight between you and God. Yet it says that as we sing to the Lord from our hearts, those around us are encouraged in our participation. We get the joy to sing together, and I have been told by numerous people that even as small as our church is, that they are greatly encouraged by our singing. <laughs> it doesn't have to be lovely and perfect. We can mess things up, and we often do. But we can participate together here and now in singing biblical truth, which is why we take so seriously what songs we do sing and songs we don't sing. And some songs are filled with great biblical truths that's just hard for us to sing. And so we don't sing those. Or you can feel free to listen to those all you want. But here at church, we try to fulfill this command by singing together so that our hearts can hear the truths of God in a way that might stick with you longer than this sermon will. Because come Wednesday, you might not remember the three points or whatever, and I don't usually have those, so if that's your struggle, that's usually my fault. So, uh, But if you don't remember the sermon, but you could still remember the songs, which is why we intentionally try our hardest to connect the songs to the themes of the sermons. Because we want you to understand that the songs aren't great because they're songs or because you like the tune and all those things that you can enjoy. But the joy and the benefit of these songs is their connection to Scripture and their ability for us to encourage our own hearts and those around us by our participation in instructing and speaking to one another from the truths of Scripture in hymns and spiritual songs together. Then he says that we ought to be giving thanks always for everything 
It's a great verse for this week, seeing as how Thanksgiving's on Thursday. Even when things aren't going so good in your life or in my life or in the church's life, we still have things to be thankful for. In fact, we have everything to be thankful for, according to Paul, if we are living according to the Spirit and being wise with the time that we have left, is that we can give thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then this last one, you know, like it seems to make sense, right? If we live according to the Spirit and don't go around being controlled by alcohol, that we would enjoy singing to the Lord together, that we would love to be together, and that we would give thanks to everything to God together. And then this last one, you're always like, ah, man, it's an unfortunate inclusion here, Paul, because this is the one we don't want to do. It says, submit to one another in the fear of Christ. I think we're all good with people singing beautiful songs and trying our hardest to sing along, right? We're okay with the idea that we should be giving thanks instead of complaining because we know that to be a biblical truth. And then we get to this part where we're like, I got to submit to these people? It bothers us. Let me submit to you today that if we have a problem with the concept of submitting to one another, it's really an issue of pride and humility. Because even if you know better, even if you know more, even if you're better educated, doesn't mean that someone doesn't have something worth being said to you. Doesn't mean that God isn't going to use some fool to pr- tell you the profound truths of Scripture that you need to hear. And life being lived in the Spirit, submitting to God, the Holy Spirit, in our own lives, naturally has to overflow in how we live lives together that are submitting to the spirit to the spirit we remain open to other people speaking into our lives and picturing our submission to God to Jesus to his plan because this is how we receive our salvation if you want to see how more that works out in further detail you can read the conclusion of Ephesians 5 and also first half of chapter 6 as it tells us how submitting to one another in the fear of Christ, not out of fear for one another, out of what someone else is going to do to you if you don't do it, but saying, I, I obey Jesus, but Jesus is telling me that I need to submit to each other and one another so that we can live in the Spirit together. This is how it looks. So, in the same line of thinking, let's turn back to uh, Colossians chapter 3, where we were for our scripture reading. We won't uh, do the whole scripture reading again. I just felt like uh, it was a good beginning to to let us know that we have put on a new person and we are to be putting aside things that come from our old heart, which next week we're going to do the don't do these to one another. And you might see one of those in the first couple 11 verses of chapter 3. But starting in verse 12, very similar, Paul is saying to the church at Colossae, Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. We've covered these, right? Just as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of 
Christ, to which you were also called in one body, control your hearts. Be thankful. Let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's almost like Paul just like did an old-fashioned copy and paste. <laughs> he says, let the message of Christ dwell richly among you. Let the gospel be a thing that is a regular conversation among us, those who believe it. Let the gospel, the story of God's salvation for our souls and us, his rescue and his eternal plan for us, let that be a message that dwells among us richly, teaching and admonishing one another. It is not Michael and my job to teach and admonish every individual in this church for all things. And even it is not all of our Sunday school teachers' job to teach your children or you or whatever the case might be. You do not need to have a label and a position or be voted in in order to have the green light to teach and admonish each other. So scripture says that we are to teach and admonish one another according to all wisdom and in singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We have an obligation to each other to help each other do what is right. And how we do that is by teaching and admonishing, by saying, like, look, the Bible says this, that we ought to speak the truth in love. So I'm going to do that. And here's the thing. The way you're acting right now doesn't seem to look like what we see in Scripture. But that's not the only way teaching and admonishing looks. I think we get this picture that teaching and admonishing looks like someone stands up near the front of the room, cracks open some notes and maybe a book or two, and then either lectures you or has a conversational-based class like we do for adult Sunday school. Teaching and admonishing doesn't just look that way. Teaching and admonishing also looks like conversations about personal problems. It looks like possibly needing counseling for a short period of time in order to understand what I ought to be doing in this situation. Teaching and admonishing also looks like just praying with a person when they say, could you pray for me? Teaching and admonishing also looks like singing, like we talked about in Ephesians. We have an obligation to each other to affirm spiritual truths to each other, not just focus in on our own personal relationship with God, although, yes, that is what salvation and our spiritual experience with God is, is a relationship between us. But God has not designed the gospel nor the church to be a solo endeavor. I want you to go home and read your Bible. And do what it says. I want you to actually pray 
on a regular basis throughout the week. I hope that you don't just live on the prayers that we pray here at church during services. I want you to get close to God, and I want God to get close to you. But one of the ways God has designed that to work is by doing it together as a church. With whomever he puts here to do it together. That we can teach and admonish, and we can submit by listening to each other. And we can even disagree, and that's fine. And we can, I think it would be healthy if, we're, if we have some sort of disagreement to say, like, hey, let's read the Bible and figure out maybe there's just an, uh, the freedom to have a difference of opinion, and we can just have that. Or maybe we can study the Word of God with all seriousness and come to a conclusion that says, actually, this is the right thing to do. But we need to be willing to teach and admonish, but also to receive teaching and admonishment by being humble and not being proud. Then finally, this one's real brief. Uh, You don't need to turn there if you don't want to, but I will go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 15. Again, near the end of a very lengthy letter that Paul is writing to a church he has never met before. He has said, basically, as soon as I can, I I, I want to come out there. I don't want you guys to be like my new home base for my uttermost parts of the world mission strips. Uh, And so he he hasn't met these people. He's met some of them, uh, likely. uh, Romans 15 and then verse 14, this is what he says about when he's uh, talking about his travel plans uh, to, to come to them. And he says, my brothers, I myself am convinced about you that you also are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Nevertheless, I have written to remind you more boldly on some points because of the grace given me by God. Paul writes, go, go if, you, if you're there, go to the beginning of Romans and see how many pages that is. He just wrote this whole letter, and near, near the end, he says, I didn't think that I needed to write this because you're incapable. You're fully capable of knowing these things because you are filled with goodness, you're filled with knowledge, and you are able to instruct one another. That's not why I wrote you this book. Because I think you're just miserable failures. He says, I wrote you this because I felt like I needed to present more boldly some points because of the grace given me by God. So he, he... Paul is Paul's an apostle who started tons of churches, right? And here he is being humble and saying, like, just because I'm the great apostle Paul doesn't mean that this letter isn't something that you could have written to me. Yeah, I felt compelled to write to you. And we saw, I believe last week, that we would be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. This is what Paul is talking about. He, he says, I know that you already believe this, that you are good people filled with wisdom and knowledge and able to instruct one another. And I don't think that I'm filling that void, but I want to be mutually encouraged by your faith and hopefully I can be some sort of mutual encouragement for you. I think it should be our desire to be able to instruct one another, to admonish one another. To speak 
biblical truth in song and in words, in prayers, in greeting cards, whatever the case may be, because we need each other. We need each other. And if we don't feel this need, we need to consider what level is our pride running at. To think that no one needs to tell me something. I know everything I need to know. I am doing everything the right way. No one needs to tell me there's a better way. I think that one key thing we need to keep in mind is for us to be able to instruct one another is that we also need to be ready to submit. We don't ever get a certified badge or a check mark on someone and say, okay, that's the person who does the teaching and admonishing, and then you get a different badge that says, this is the people who need to do the listening and the submitting. Oddly enough, some of these passages that tell you you submit, submit to one another out of the fear of Christ, and then says husband-wife relationship, parent-child relationship, slave and slave owner, boss and employee type relationships. This is how it ought to work. We think that somehow there's just like, this is who gets to be in charge of teaching and instructing, and this is the person who does all the submitting. But when actually seen in context, the, the point is that we should all be submitting to each other, and at times, there may be situations in which, yeah, we just say, okay, we'll just do it this way. We'll, we'll do it your way. But we should be able to do that as a church. We should be able to say, look, look what you did offended me. It hurt me. Uh, I don't think it was kind for you to do that. And even if your perception of it is completely wrong, that a person with humility could say, hey, I'm... I, I, I'm sorry that that happened. I, I didn't know that that was how that was coming across. Or even if, like, yeah, like, yeah, I was being a jerk. <laughs> but we have to have a dynamic, a culture commitment here in a church to be humble and to be ready to listen before we're ready to speak. We need to be ready to hear before we start teaching, I would say, this isn't from Scripture, so this is just Pastor Caleb, so take it as you will, that the, the obligation to listen to someone instruct is only as strong as their own ability to listen, which means for each and every one of us, probably is a bad idea to go start telling everybody how to live their lives if you're not ready for someone else to tell you how to live yours. Maybe don't go try and take a sliver out of your brother's eye when you got a beam sticking out of yours. Don't let yourself fall into the trap of believing that you know so much that everyone around you can benefit from it. Because the heart of teaching and instruction that we see given in the Bible isn't based on someone's knowledge or their wisdom 
their age or their gender or their ethnicity or their wealth status. It comes from their example of following Jesus. These are the people that we should look to, and we should proactively go ask for their help and for their instruction and advice are the people that we can see living lives that demonstrate that they care about what God says, that they do things that typically we wouldn't do except for the fact that they are following Jesus. So let us do things in that order. Like Ezra. I don't know if I'll remember how I got these all into certain points, but he first purposed to know God's word, then to live it, then to teach people, and to lead people to do it. That's the order, if you're going to do it in a, in a Western mindset way, that we must do it. We must purpose to know God's word and care about it, to do it ourselves to live it out and help other people by teaching them that and then to assist them in doing it because telling them what the right thing to do isn't always enough. They often also need assistance in doing it and encouragement, admonishment, and a helping hand that's ready to be with them. And all of this takes a great amount of humility and pride can even throw a bump in it like there's no tomorrow if we are not careful So let us instruct one another. As Jesus has taught us, let us use his words and the the words of Scripture to inform our lives. But let us live lives together humbly enough to say, I'll help you. You can help me. Like Paul says to the church he's never even met, I'm pretty sure you guys are totally capable of teaching each other the gospel and living it out. But can I be a part of it? Let's do that for and with one another so that we can be a place where our singing isn't the only place that we speak biblical truth to each other. Let us be a community of people who are always looking to help. Dear Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your plan of salvation. We pray that the gospel would be a message that would dwell in us richly. That we as a community and as individuals of that community would see that because of the gospel we have a motivation to always give thanks in everything. We thank you that you have given us your word, that we can study together, that we can even sing together. We pray that we would be a community that's constant in hearing and listening to biblical truth and reaffirming that truth for others. We pray for the humility needed in order for us to be willing to submit to each other, to be ready to listen to someone else speak truth into our lives and into our situations. We pray that you would help us to have discernment as to when and how to instruct one another. And we pray that we would grow together closer and closer to you so that we can have changed lives that people can see you at work in our lives, that we would be examples to others about what it looks like to live a life in the Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.